The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Merrill Griff. Hi, it is Dr. Merrill, and welcome to Quote Between Generations. As a caregiver, I know your time is just precious, so I always appreciate so much when you decide to devote and spend some time with us. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, every one of us has either had a family member or a friend who has had cancer, and perhaps you are a survivor or you're going through treatment now for some type of cancer. As a therapist, I think one of the most difficult aspects of the disease is trying to deal with the emotional and psychological impact, and it becomes even more difficult when no one is comfortable talking about the proverbial elephant in the room. So information about how to react and how to handle physical and emotional aspects of this disease, you know, it's wide ranging. It goes all the way from not being readily available to not being accurate. So on today's show, we're going to try and help you by providing accurate information and resources that I hope will help you get through the disease and then help you through recovery. We begin with Dr. Stuart Fleischman, and Dr. Fleischman currently surveys cancer centers around the country for accreditation by the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer. He was among the very first group of physicians to become board certified in hospice and palliative medicine, which for me means he's very forward-thinking and he thinks way up ahead of the curve. Dr. Fleischman's research includes trials to reverse weight and muscle loss associated with cancer, fatigue, nausea, testosterone loss in male patients, and cognitive impairment. Is the author of Learn to Live Through Cancer, introducing his system, which he has developed called the Learn System, which promotes healing from the start of cancer. Dr. Fleischman, it's indeed an honor, it really is, to welcome you to our show today. I, I really realize how busy and involved you are in the care of patients, so thank you for agreeing to spend some time with us today. Um, Dr. Fleischman, what's the usual reaction when someone first learns they have cancer? Well, when someone hears the word or they're worried they're going to hear the word, often people tune out a lot of the information that comes afterwards, and that's to be expectable. No one wants to hear the word cancer, and people associate that with, I'm going to be really sick or I'm going to die. That may or may not happen, but more and more people are surviving cancer even more, so the initial reaction of shock 
disbelief. I can't believe this is happening to me. It, it must be a mistake. I want a second opinion. You don't know what you're doing are really common. And for that reason, in I think no other aspect of medicine do we encourage capital E, a second opinion from some other practitioner, often in another cancer center to get a real objective view that um, no one made a mistake, no one misinterpreted things because this is a, a field where nuance is very important. So that's sort of the initial thing that happens to pretty much everybody, even smart people, uh, people inexperienced with cancer, it's across the board. What is the usual reaction of the people who don't have the cancer, but it's a family member, let's say, who's usually with them uh, in the office upon first receiving this kind of news? Well, there's been, there's, been a number of uh, investigators looking at this sort of thing, and there are general trends. I mean, in general, uh, family members, friends, caregivers um, often overestimate how much suffering or the burden of the illness and the treatment the individual patient is going through. Contrarily, um, staff members, uh, the cancer treatment teams, their doctors, nurses, uh, psychologists, social workers, everybody often underestimate the burden. So um, at that, the point at which someone is hearing that they may have cancer and they may need testing or it's been proven and they're d- discussing a treatment plan, um, the family members have a much more pivotal job than they can imagine at that moment because they need to be the eyes and the ears and the memory for the person who is starting to tune things out. So although they're anticipating things probably to be much more worse, that's not bad English, but much worse than the uh, individual patient is, um, they need to be on their game with a pen and a piece of paper and writing stuff down. So it's it's a really hard uh, and very vital function. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, I have a friend who um, is a cancer survivor. It's It's been seven years now. She had ovarian cancer. Um, and she called me one day and she said, I need to go see my doctor in a follow-up. And I'm really frightened. I don't want to go by myself. And my husband just falls apart. He, he, he's useless. I mean, he, he just can't hold it together. So will you come with me with paper and pencil um, and, and write down what the doctor's saying so that, you know, it's clear to me what's happening and what I have to do. Um, and I thought that was interesting to say, you know, that your closest family member may or may not come with you, but they may not be the right person um, in effect to be scribing. Uh, during the visit, and and you really sometimes need to ask someone else uh, who's a little bit right. removed. Yeah, a, a little bit removed, but not too removed. <laughs> because, right, uh, they right. Need, really need to tune in on what the issues are. Right, right. So after you learn about cancer, the problem, what are the problems then becomes, you know, who do you tell and how do you tell them and and when do you tell them? So, you know, how do you deal with, you know, family, friends, even like your employer or your coworker? What's your suggestions for that? Yeah. Um, In general, people go through cancer as they go through the rest of their life. So if you're a private person, you're more likely to be more private about the cancer. If you're someone that posts every meal on Facebook, you may go right to social media or go to friends and family and tell them everything right away. You're not a different person once you have cancer. So you generally go 
about things the same way. Um, telling an employer can be difficult. Obviously, there are legal protections through the Americans with Disabilities Act that prevent discrimination, but we always have heard that sometimes um, uh, job evaluations seem to change <clears throat> as people become more expensive to their insurance plans uh, or can't be uh, work 100% of the time because of treatment and stuff like that. So telling an employer is uh, really an, an individual case-by-case basis depending upon the situation. At that same time, when that's what you're thinking about, you know, who do I tell? Are they going to treat me like a sick person? Is everyone going to look at me thinking like this is my last week on earth, um, you need to really mobilize because you need to be sure that you know what your insurance covers and what it doesn't to make all the calls to get prior approvals for things and making sure that you're seeing going to a facility that's in network with providers that are in network. The same time that we're spending a lot of time thinking about the issues you mentioned, we have to really be on top of all the practical things because uh, when sometimes prior authorizations are not done before treatment, it's impossible to do afterwards. It's hmm. a very good point. So, Dr. Fleischman, you have developed um, this system called the LEARN system, L-E-A-R-N. Can you explain that to us? Sure. It's common sense stuff, uh, but sometimes common sense on a piece of paper makes more sense. So this is going to be a journey of weeks or months, Um, and sometimes uh, we get so caught up in the day-to-day things that it's hard to look at the bigger picture. Again, so so many people are surviving cancer more and more. It's estimated that um, by the year 2022, there'll be over 25 million cancer survivors in the country. So we are a big population of cancer survivors. So what this means is that spend a few minutes a week once a week, turn off your phone, shut, shut down your computer for a minute, or do it on your computer if that's how you think best, by yourself or with close family and friends, and you think about the next week, what am I going to be doing in, in five basic areas? And the acronym is L-E-A-R-N, L is for living. What am I doing to make life meaningful? What am I doing to help myself? What am I doing to help others? Because not everybody is so impaired during their treatment. Most people these days are not, and doing things for others really makes you feel better. So what am I doing to focus on living? L, E, education. Let me learn about my cancer. Let me learn about my treatments. Let me learn about what I have to do. Let me learn about how other people have successfully coped and other families have successfully coped so I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Education, really, really important. A, activity. Activity is vital. And depending upon your own situation, that kind of cancer, the shape you're in before, the kind of treatment you're getting, you and the cancer treatment team uh, need to figure out what kind of activity. That may be stretching. That may be walking around up and down the steps in your house or in your apartment building. That may be going to a gym under guidance and continuing basic aerobic muscle building and endurance activities. That could be a variety of things depending on a specific situation. And most, um, well, all certified cancer centers need to have a physical medicine rehabilitation programs that are tailored to cancer, and they will often do a prehab, a new term, pre-rehabilitation or prehab consult so that they can teach you what you should and shouldn't be doing during your treatment. That's activity, L-E-A-R, rest and sleep, really important. 
really important to heal your body, really important to heal your soul. Uh, rest and sleep are very important, but a lot of the medicines that are used during treatment for nausea, for pain, interfere with the natural sleep cycle. So with your team, somebody needs to look at that, uh, your oncology nurse, the, uh, your medical oncologist, radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist, or the supportive care team that happens in every certified cancer center. Somebody needs to look at all these things and figure out how you should be getting to sleep um, on time or for what period of time and if medication is not the answer and it's certainly not the only thing to do, learning some cognitive behavioral skills so that you can do deep breathing and progressive relaxation and get a few hours of sleep, very important to heal. And N is nutrition, probably the largest determinant of how people do during their treatment. Um, eating the right foods, if you can eat, if you need a feeding tube, learning how to manage the tube, the right things that go in the tube. And it's not just a matter of the number of calories. It's not just like reverse dieting, <laughs> but it's the kinds of foods to be eating. Really, really important um, because that will prevent a lot of some of the bad things that can get you sick and in the hospital during your treatment. Um, there are specific guidelines for specific cancers. We also know that many women who get treated for breast cancer, even early stage and small, many men who are treated for prostate cancer gain a lot of weight, and that weight is hard to take off after you finish. So getting guidance from a smart nutritionist or dietitian who's oncology smart, again, available in certified centers and throughout the country in various places. Some of this is available even online. Can really tailor a program to you and your situation because it's hard to give hard and fast guidelines except somebody needs to be paying attention to nutrition. So every week you take the, the grid that's in the book and or you just Xerox it or you know, do it online and just say what I'm going to do this week in each of these areas. It can take 10 or 15 minutes. And the next week you do the same thing and the next week you do the same thing. And by the end of three months and six months, instead of looking back and say, well, where did this time go? You can look back on your progress and what you've done and what you've accomplished and how uh, you need to move on from there. It's very, very helpful. Dr. Fleischman, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to hold that thought because we need sure. to go to break. When we return, we'll have Dr. Fleischman continue that thought, and we'll also be discussing with him technology and cancer and some other tips for things you can do during treatment to make recovery easier. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and we're here with Dr. Stuart Fleischman, who is a physician and author of Learn to Live Through Cancer, What You Need to Know and Need to Do. And before the break, Dr. Fleischman was giving us so much information about his system, uh, which is called the LEARN system. And Dr. Fleischman, before the break, you were starting to talk about um, a form you have available in your book uh, called What is Important to Me. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. At, at the start of treatment, again, by yourself or with your family and friends, however you think best, uh, and sometimes you really need to talk these kinds of things out, uh, you need to be able to bring information to your treatment team about you and how you like to process information. Do you want a lot of information, a little information, no information? Do you want someone else to make the decisions? Do you want to be a vital part of the decision-making? Do you want to make much of the decision on your own as long as you have the proper facts? Um, the other kinds of things are uh, things that may be more long, long overreaching, like I'm thinking I want to, you know, get this cancer out of me and survive as long as possible, no matter what I have to do. I only am interested in, in feeling comfortable and quality of life, not necessarily length of life or something in between. This may change over time. This is very individualized, and it opens the dialogue between you and your family and friends and you and your family, friends, and treatment team. Um, and that the, the, these facts will change over time, but at least the dialogue is open and everybody's thinking about them. Good. What is um, the role of, let's talk about the role of technology in improving treatments for cancer. Well, that's, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, technology has made cancer treatment amazing for a lot of people, but not everyone. So um, in surgery, we have robots uh, that, that can do finer surgery, taking out less good tissue. We have uh, in radiation lots of technology that actually directs the radiation beam so that it can uh, heat seal or seal off the cancer itself without affecting the good tissue around it or even in back of it now with proton beam therapy, which is the newest technology in, in the radiation field. In chemotherapy, we have 
personalized medicine, targeted medicine, lots of um, testing for gene, uh, the genetic information, the, the markers on the cell. This was not available more than 10 years ago, and that's really due to the technology to measure these things, find them, and identify the proper key to go into the proper lock. That's on sort of the, the treatment side. On the individual side, we now have access to a huge amount of information on our phones, on our computers. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Um, it's hard to know what applies to you. It's hard to know what is good and what is bad except by knowing the information is from a trusted source. Many people are trying to sell you products. Many people are trying to sell you untested uh, products that um, may have little to no place in evidence-based treatment. Some of the things um, may actually be harmful or encourage you not to take, you know, good standard tried and true care. So there's a lot of information coming in. Um, just like we have fitness trackers, people are developing trackers for your diet and exercise and cancer so you can keep track of all that stuff. You can also um, communicate with everybody really quickly. Um, and sometimes a quick communication isn't complete. Um, some uh, physicians and providers will encourage social media and email and questions. Some people frown upon it because they're often quick answers and these are nuanced discussions. So technology has, has really changed the way we think, diagnose, treat cancer and the way we manage cancer, but it has both good and bad aspects to it. You do have a listing of trusted internet sites in your book, uh, which I really do appreciate because I, I, I don't know how, as a, just a layperson, I, I would make a judgment about whether something's trusted or not. And I think when people are sick, you get frantic. And so that's why suddenly the cure in a South American country up in the mountains sounds really good to you um, because you're grasping at straws. Um, and I think right. it's difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult, and uh, sometimes what is done in other countries seems a whole lot better than what we do, and sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And you really need expert eyes to help you through that. What about um, other complementary or alternative care? I mean, sometimes your physician will discuss that with you, sometimes they won't. What is your feeling about that? Right. Well, you know, this has also changed a lot over the last 20 years or so. I, I think that um, when it comes to complementary and alternative, although we lump them in the same category, they're very different things. Um, I, I think except for really rare circumstances, alternative, you know, giving up standard care and only doing an alternative treatment is extremely risky except for very special circumstances with lots of thought uh, and somebody who really knows the field to say that everything that's known is exhausted. And again, that's the rare circumstance. The complementary field is something that's wide open and embraced by more and more people as the years go by. And complementary often includes things that we don't even consider to be avant-garde things like a support group or getting information or talking or prayer 
or um, stretching. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's called yoga, but it's stretching and progressive relaxation. Um, sometimes it's massage, acupuncture. All these things are pretty much standard in um, cancer treatment. Numbers of good, well-done studies that document the, the necessity, the validity, um, the reliability of these treatments. So the complementary stuff, you know, if speaking to your family and going to services in, in your church, synagogue, or mosque of your choice is complimentary. I think mostly everybody's doing complimentary stuff. So it depends upon how it's defined, and most people are very open to these as an adjunct to basic care and to reduce some of the burdens of basic care. So I have two questions that were uh, emailed to me as as we're doing the show, um, and I'd, I'd like to ask them. So Jane sure. wants to know about the at the end, which is the nutrition in your system, and her comment is that no matter what she does, she just can't seem to get her husband to eat. He says he's nauseous, and he just he doesn't want to eat anything, and she's finding it very frustrating and scary at the same time. Well, it is, um, and uh, we like to think of food as a basic right <laughs> and all the healing powers of food, which can certainly happen. Um, it needs to be really evaluated by a, a really good oncology trained nutritionist um, in your area in person, uh, if not you know, electronically, but in person would be the best. The thing people need to really remember is that it's not a matter of just wanting to eat. That let's, and I'll, I'll give an example, um, and it's not the same for every cancer, but if someone has lung cancer that's spread to the liver and the bones, let's say, they, an average pot-sized person can need six, 8,000 calories a day just to maintain the cancer. Um, just think of all of us when we feel healthy, what it takes to shop, cook, eat, poop, and pee, six to 8,000 calories a day. Now, let's clean up after all this cooking. Um, it, it's a, it would be a full-time job to do that, and if the cancer is needing that much energy and your body can't keep up with it, you get tired. The more you're tired, the less you eat. The less you eat, the more you get tired. Um, there are reasons from the top of the, the tip of the nose that smells the food to, you know, to bowel movements and everything all the way through the body that impedes good nutrition and sometimes excitement about taste and food and smells and things like that. And there are many workarounds here, depending upon the cancer, the situation, uh, and it needs an oncology nutritionist who's really smart about cancer to be able to okay. figure this out. But it's not just doesn't want to for most people. It's they just can't, um, and that puts a whole different light on it. There are some people that are seriously depressed during cancer treatment, again, tried and true, and um, smart mental health people who know about cancer can help figure this out in you know one or two visits and get you in the right direction. Right. So Jared is uh, currently going through cancer treatment, and he says his problem is not not getting enough rest. His problem is he's tired all of the time. Um, and his um, his partner complains that he's just sleeping way too much, and that's why he's not eating and he's not doing any activity. So what are the suggestions for Jared, who is sleeping way too much? Well, again, in, in, I'm giving sort of generalities, but work, you know, work this out with your treatment team. It's a three-legged stool. Um, eating, um, uh, energy and 
what, well, we'll put it another way. You know, energy, if, if you're less active, sometimes that makes your body get even less active. So activity, nutrition, um, and rest are the sort of the three legs of the stool that help keep the body in balance. And I, although it's counterintuitive, doing things doesn't necessarily make you more tired, but actually can help the fatigue because it encourages you to eat and encourages more restorative rest. So um, a combination of a good nutritionist, um, good psychosocial counseling, um, a prehab consult, all can help use these three things in order to do better. And sometimes it means more, more activity rather than less. So you become more active. I know that sounds kind of circular, but it really works. <laughs> Dr. Fleischman, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, what is your contact information or website? What, what, are, um, what can you share with us? The website, um, uh, oh, since, since the book is, has has uh, not been out, it was published a few years ago, the website isn't functioning anymore, but there's a, a page on Facebook, cancernoando.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. I mean, there is, I can highly recommend this book. There's just a lot of good information. Dr. Stuart Fleischman, Learning to Live Through Cancer, What You Need to Know and Do. Stay tuned. Our next guest is Ann Katz, and she'll be sharing stories with us of how people manage their lives after treatment as cancer survivors. Stay with us. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Do you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. And I'm here now with Anne Katz, um, who's uh, one of her most recent books is Surviving After Cancer, Living the New Normal. Anne is an adjunct professor with the Faculty of Nursing at the University of Manitoba in Canada. And she actually wrote four books. Well, maybe it's five, because and she'll tell us about that at the end, um, about cancer and related illness. Her most important topic being cancer survivorship. So, um, you know, I think, Anne, that other people don't always understand the reactions of the survivor. Sometimes they believe, you know, you survived. Yay! You should be happy and content. So why are you still having problems? I mean, I mean, I watched my mother who had lymphoma, and she lived really in constant fear that the cancer would return. I, I It was constant. And as it turns out, she she did pass away, but not of cancer. She actually had a stroke. Um, but every visit to her oncologist became just a traumatic event for her. I mean, how common is this type of reaction in survivors? I think that's a really good observation. It is probably the number one issue for cancer survivors, and for many survivors, it never, ever goes away, you know, like for your mother. So we see people getting, you know, really very, very anxious before they, for example, go for the blood test or the scan prior to meeting with the oncologist. They're extremely anxious when they meet the oncologist. You know, their blood pressure goes up, they have heart palpitations, they're nauseous. Um, and then they see the oncologist, find out that everything's okay, and, you know, for another three, four, six months, even a year, go about their business, but there is that constant fear. So they wake up one morning, they've got a bit of a cough, or they've got a little ache. Um, their immediate thought is, the cancer, it's back. You know, even if back pain was not related to their original cancer. So this fear of recurrence, I think, is the number one survivorship issue for, for survivors. So, Anne, what what can people do to combat these feelings of fear and anxiety? What do you suggest? Well, you know, this isn't a rational thing, right? Um, you know, people tend to uh, go also go through this process. We call it deprofessionalization. So as their visits to the oncologist get further and further apart, or perhaps if their care is then turned over to their primary care provider, um, this actually feeds into it. So it's not rational. Um, one thing that actually can be helpful is mindfulness-based stress reduction. Um, so it's not particularly easy. I try to practice this every day. It's, it's, it, it really isn't that easy. But really what mindfulness does is it encourages you to actually face what your anxiety is. It, it isn't a way of avoiding or, um, you know, trying to hide the discomfort, but actually owning that discomfort. And that can actually be uh, quite helpful. Some patients need medication. Sorry, some survivors need medication. They may need an anti-anxiety medication. They might need an antidepressant, um, but something to really help them cope because they're going to be survivors for the rest of their life. You know, it, it sometimes appears that the symptoms are very similar to PTSD, to post-traumatic stress syndrome, which, you know, as therapists, we'll, we'll see usually in victims of trauma, could be a rape, uh, could be, you know, a murder, it's, you know, it could be a tornado, uh, it's some traumatic event. And do you see it as, as somewhat similar to PTSD? 
Oh, absolutely. And we do, we do, we, what we actually call it post-traumatic stress syndrome because it is a little bit different to post-traumatic stress disorder and it might just be a qualitative difference, but we absolutely see that in people. We see, um, I have some uh, survivors in my practice and I am a sexuality counselor predominantly, but I see patients who when they walk into the cancer center, uh, the smell, which, you know, I don't notice, obviously, the smell, the sight sitting in the waiting room actually causes them to have flashbacks and the physical sensation of, of you know, what it was like. On the other hand, we also see significant post-cancer growth or personal growth, post-traumatic personal growth uh, related to survivorship. And this is where people reset their priorities um, you know, recognize um, some of the good things that can come from that cancer experience in terms of perhaps focusing less on work and more on family and loved ones. Um, you know, that sort of waking up and smelling the roses kind of thing. But we do actually see growth. We also see couples grow closer together. Um, so it's not all gloom and doom and it's not all trauma. Mm-hmm. Some of it is actually positive. But let's talk about a little gloom and doom just for a minute and go back to something I said at the beginning because it's something that I've seen, well, maybe not frequently, but enough to be of concern, and that is people have completed their treatment, they're clean, things are clear, but they still seem to be either very, very sad or they may be even depressed. And the reaction of people around them very often is what I said at the beginning. It's like, come on, knock it off, get out of it. You know, you're clean, you're done with your treatment, you survived. You know, what's your problem? You know, why are you so depressed? You should be happy. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's a very good point because because those surrounding the cancer survivor often have really unrealistic expectations and may not be aware of the long-term and late effects that happen after treatment is over. So long-term effects are those that start during treatment and extend sometimes for years after treatment is over, and then late effects are those which appear long after treatment is over. So, for example, the kind of fatigue that many people experience during radiation therapy, which is often given over an extended period, the day that you finish radiation, you know, after you ring that bell that is so commonly done in cancer centers, Often, you know, that is symbolic of, okay, get on with your life. Everything's fine and it's not. That fatigue can extend for weeks or even months after treatment is over. We often see people experience some cognitive difficulties after treatment is over. We see this very commonly with women who've had breast cancer, and we're not really sure of why this happens, but they're forgetful. They... um you know, can't concentrate as they used to. And this can impact on their ability to go back to work. Uh, They're not able to make executive decisions. So we used to call this chemo brain. Uh, We don't anymore because it's not just associated with chemotherapy. Um, And it really is. So these cognitive changes after treatment is over is a a late effect because often it only shows up after uh, the end of treatment. So these are really significant issues. And I think that as oncology care providers, we have a duty and a responsibility to inform the survivor and their family and friends um, and get that message out that the day you finish treatment does not mean you're back to normal by a long shot. 
So that's a very interesting point that I had not heard before. I mean, do you find that what used to be called chemo brain really gender specific, uh, specific, that it's more in women than it is in men? I think that's a really interesting question. I think we do see it more in, in women. Um, you know, it's certainly something, for example, that we see in men with um, advanced or recurrent prostate cancer when we put them on androgen deprivation therapy, which is sometimes commonly called hormone therapy. And I don't like that term because we're actually depriving them of the male hormone testosterone. They also experience some cognitive changes. So, you know, we really are not sure of the etiology. It, it might be happening at a cellular level, and I don't want to get into that right now. Um, you know, it might be one facet, perhaps, of depression. Um, but it is it really is quite common and has very far-reaching effects. The other thing that will often happen when someone experiences those cognitive changes, the first thing that they think is, I've got dementia. And that, for some people, is even scarier than the cancer. It's not dementia. It's some changes uh, to cognition. And there certainly are some things that can be done uh, to help people cope with those changes. And there's a lot of research happening in that area because it is so common. You know, I'm sorry, but I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, as women, we really are pretty strong, you know, and usually I don't get into gender conversations, but I'm sitting here thinking, first we have pregnancy brain, and then we have chemo brain. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. Uh, we well, sp- you know, if you're, if you're, if you're very lucky, um, you, you know, you don't get chemo brain because you don't get cancer. But, yeah, you know, I, I hear you, and um, I think that, that it, you know, that really goes to the essence of who we are. As women, we're so used to multitasking, you know, and doing 52 things at once and remembering family birthdays and all kinds of stuff. And, and those cognitive changes are, are, are really um, very, very scary for women. Is there anything that you can do to, to prevent um, that or to lessen the impact of the cognitive changes? We don't know much about prevention, but certainly to lessen the impact. You know, we use some sort of commonsensical uh, interventions, um, write things down, make lists. You know, I make lists of my lists and then I forget my master list. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, using timers, many of us have smartphones today and the, the smartphone can be used in a very effective way for, to remind us um, of, of where we need to be and when, certainly enlisting the help of family and friends to give us those reminders. And, and I think really not stressing about the, the, the changes because stress will just, you know, make it worse or make it appear worse. Just accepting that, that things have changed and uh, we need a little bit of help. I have the same question for you about depression. So is there anything that can be done to prevent or early intervention or lessen the impact of the depression? You know, we know from actually non-cancer populations that moderate exercise can really help uh, to lift uh, mild and moderate depression. And exercise is turning out from the research to be the magic pill for all sorts of things related to cancer. So daily exercise, and I know that, that often, you know, when, you, when, you see a, when I see a patient who's fatigued and I say to them, you really need to be exercising, they look at me like, you know, I'm completely crazy. I'm too tired to exercise. But exercise relieves fatigue. Uh, exercise can relieve depression. Um, exercise can help prevent the recurrence of 
different cancers. It can also help in preventing the development of certain cancers. So uh, exercise is really powerful, powerful medicine. Um, some people really do need to be on medication, um, and that's okay. I think there needs to be an evaluation on a regular basis on whether people need to stay on that medication, and certainly cognitive behavioral therapy. Or I heard your last guest, I just came in at the tail end, and I heard him say psychosocial care. And what's in one of the facets of psychosocial care is uh, counseling, talk therapy, and I don't mean lie down on my couch and tell me about toilet training when you were two. I'm talking <laughs> about really focused counseling to help people cope with the changes and, and, and helping people use their brains, their rationality, their creativity, their insight into who they are um, to really help deal with the changes that can lead to depression. We are here with Ann Katz, um, an author of many books about cancer, um, one of them being Surviving After Cancer, Living the New Normal. Stay with us. When we come back, we're going to ask Ann about plans for returning back to work, and we're going to ask her a little bit about relationships and intimacy when surviving cancer. Stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities in health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and I'm here with Ann Katz, and we're discussing cancer survivorship, uh, what it's like to continue after the cancer treatment is already done. So, and many survivors uh, look forward to returning to work. So what kind of plans do you think are necessary to allow this to happen as smoothly as possible? Because I, th- I think the transition back is often difficult for people. Yeah, so I think, you know, you said the key word plans. Going back to work 
uh, involves planning. And work is important. It's, it's social for us, certainly. Uh, it's financial, but it also, for many people, is a way of contributing meaningfully to, to their life. So uh, back to work needs to be planned. It often needs to be a gradual return to work. So working with a back-to-work expert, uh, working with the human resources department is really important. What sometimes happens is the cancer survivor goes back to work and there is no explanation or sharing with coworkers about what this is going to mean. And so sometimes, you know, it can really be set up that coworkers are a little bit annoyed. Uh, this person disappeared for six, nine, 12 months. Uh, other people had to pick up the slack. And now, you know, Jane comes back and she's only working three hours a day. What's that about? Of course, the cancer survivor is entitled to privacy and nothing should be divulged to co-workers without his or her permission, but sharing that this person is coming back on a back-to-work project, uh, it's going to mean, you know, three hours a day for three weeks and then four or five hours a day um, can be really, really helpful. Uh, uh, Work situations need to provide the necessary accommodations. If this is somebody, for example, who is working in a grocery store, uh, they may need a chair to sit when they're working at the cash register because it's not advisable for them to be standing for for an extended period of time. So planning is important. And sometimes cancer survivors um, underestimate uh, the accommodations that need to, to be made, and so they go back full tilt and then suffer the consequences. So how do you suggest, you know, approaching this with your boss or the HR department in terms of being realistic in terms of what you think you're really going to need? This is one area where an occupational therapist and many cancer centers today um, will have an occupational therapist and perhaps a physiotherapist on board. Um, An assessment of what is possible, a realistic appraisal of what the work environment is, what the tasks are, uh, what the expectations are. I've seen people, you know, go back to work early, but if they're the owner of the business or the boss or work relatively autonomously, you know, they can... uh, take a break, an extended break, and perhaps close their door and have a nap. Um, leave when they feel like leaving. But if people literally have to punch a clock, there really does need to be extensive planning. And I think that there needs to be, you know, honesty and transparency around what the needs of the survivor are, what the needs of the workplace is as well. Do you ever see a situation where people do return back to work um, and they're doing fine, but then by the weekend they're exhausted and they need to recover um, and that that creates problems then with family members who also want to return to some type of uh, social life at that point. What are your suggestions for that? Well, you know, I, I, I see this among my friends. Um, without <laughs> cancer, right, we do tend to go full tilt often uh, in our work. You know, once again here, I think that, you know, there might need to be consideration given to perhaps working fewer hours. Um, if this is soon after return to work, there perhaps just needs to be, um, a, you know, a period of time when the 
person will regain their energy. Um, it's important to pace yourself. Uh, you can't go, uh, you know, you can't be fully social while you're working 40 or 50 hours a week. That's just not realistic. Uh, but, you know, once again, I think that has the potential to play into that attitude of your treatment's over, you, you know, you're fine. What's the problem? Why can't you do what you, what you used to do? And, you know, I think often there, particularly around the time of diagnosis, you know, friends and family are showing up with casseroles. Um, and then, you know, that help kind of uh, fades away. Uh, and I think there, there's, that's an important time for friends and family to really kick up their, um, their response and their support when treatment is over and people are really feeling the full effect of the treatment because that's a very real factor, that accumulation um, of side effects as treatment goes on. So often you feel worse at the end of treatment than you did at the beginning. So that's a time for family and friends to start with the casseroles again and really cutting some slack for the survivor. About, and I know it differs from cancer to cancer, but quickly, could you tell us just generally how long do these after effects work, you know, last after treatment? Some of them can last years. Some of them will last months or perhaps even weeks. Um, there really is, a, you know, a great deal of individual variation, and and it depends on a whole host of factors. You know, what treatments were were given, uh, what kind of chemotherapy was given, or radiation, or what kind of surgery occurred. You know, increasingly now we're actually seeing people. Uh, continuing to take some oral agents, so oral chemotherapy in pill form, not in uh, IV form, and they may take this for the rest of their lives. We certainly see this in the context of people who are living with metastatic cancer. So they will never experience cure. They will always have cancer, but it will be controlled. So they may be on medication for many, many years. We're certainly seeing that with some of the new immune therapies as well. People will constantly be on some kind of treatment and will never be what they were before. And tell us um, about, your, uh, about your newest book and your contact information and how we can get in touch with you or sure. find out so, more about um, your work. I've actually written 13 books, and um, uh, I have a new one coming out uh, next year. Uh, it's a textbook for oncology care providers on uh, obesity, overweight, and cancer. So it's a, a handbook to uh, help oncology care providers have the sensitive discussion around overweight, obesity, and cancer. I've written a number of books on sexuality and cancer, um, one for men, one for women, uh, called Man Cancer Sex and Woman Cancer Sex. Uh, I've written two books on cancer survivorship, the book we've been talking about today, as well as After You Ring the Bell, 10 Challenges for the Cancer Survivor. All my books are available uh, on Amazon.com, through Barnes & Noble, or you could ask uh, your uh, local bookstore to order them. They're all available. Um, I have a very neglected website, um, but uh, most of my books are on it. It's uh, just www.drannkatz.com, uh, and if people want to reach me, they can reach me through my Gmail account, which is drannkatz at gmail.com and it's Anne with an E because that's the only kind of Anne there is. 
<laughs> We've been talking to Dr. Ann Katz. Dr. Katz, thank you so much uh, for all of this. We really appreciate your being with us today and, and sharing with us such great information. Thank you. So um, I realized that when I began doing Facebook Live that I stopped doing the takeaways at the end of the show. And um, I've actually received a few emails recently that this was pointed out to me. So I'm going to try to return. I only have a minute, but I'm going to go through this quickly with you. And so, and that is to remember the caregiver. So all the attention and the focus, as it should be, is on the person that's ill. And, and actually, Dr. Katz talked about this a little, all right? Sitting by someone's bedside is exhausting. Dealing with someone afterwards can be exhausting or it can be frightening. Um, And trying to understand the actions, the feelings of someone who has survived can be frustrating. And so think about little things that may make a difference. You know, bringing a little box of cookies, peanut butter crackers, you know, things that someone can eat while they're sitting by someone's bedside. You know, taking them for a cup of coffee or inviting them to go on a walk so you can listen to them and just just listen to how frustrated or angry they feel without any judgment, without any judgment at all, can be helpful. You don't need to solve their problems. Sometimes actually just nodding your head or, or going, hmm, you know, so as an acknowledgement that you've heard them and you're listening to them is really, really helpful. This is Dr. Merrill reminding you that you're very, very important. And so you need to do just one thing for yourself every week. I would actually like to ask you to do just one thing for me, um, and that is to leave a review for us, if you would, on iTunes. It makes sharing all this good information with us, uh, with others, just a little bit easier. This is Dr. Merrill. Take good care of yourself. You're really important. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.